If you're like me, and you've been on Facebook since it first came around, then you may have been part of a research experiment that took place over a decade ago. Let me explain. It's early winter 2012, and Facebook sits atop the social media hierarchy. One day, data scientists at Facebook decide to run a little experiment on nearly 700,000 users. Here's how it went down. Researchers split this batch of users into two groups. For one week in January, Facebook skewed the newsfeed of each group of users to either show positive or negative content. Are you in the positive group? Here's a video of a puppy playing badminton. Are you in the negative group? Here's an article from your friend about rising gas prices. Well, it may not have played out exactly like that, but you get the picture. So what did they find? Well, after one week, researchers found that users in each group reacted to these changes in a very direct way. The group receiving less negative content made more positive posts, and vice versa. With just a subtle tweak to users' timelines, there was a direct correlation between the nature of the content that users consumed and the nature of their interactions on the platform. As the authors of the study write, quote, these results suggest that the emotions expressed by friends via online social networks influence our own moods, constituting, to our knowledge, the first experimental evidence for massive-scale emotional contagion via social networks. There are so many things that stick out to me about this Facebook mood study, as it's since been named. The fact that people can be so easily manipulated in online spaces the ethical problems of a social media company so blatantly experimenting on the emotional states of its users, and the eerie foreshadowing of the rise of fake news and social media polarization. But overall, what really strikes me is the sense that we're not getting the full story. If this is the kind of thing that a social media company is doing to us that they're willing to tell us about, what are the other, more insidious ways that our technologies are influencing us that we don't know about? And not just social media, but all technology. In a world where we're constantly plugged into some kind of platform, app, or digital experience, how can we better navigate this landscape as knowledgeable, informed users? Well, that's what I'm going to be exploring in this podcast. Welcome to Rhetorical Devices. But before I go too much further, let's take a quick trip back to ancient Greece to better understand the concept of rhetoric and why it's a useful lens for examining our contemporary technological landscape. Aristotle defined rhetoric as the ability to discern the available means of persuasion in a given situation. Unlike popular conceptions of rhetoric as simply lying or manipulative speech, rhetoric was first articulated as a way to study how speakers and listeners interacted with one another in an emerging democracy. In this more expansive definition, rhetoric is not simply a description of how people try to get what they want through communication, but rather an art of discernment. Effective rhetorical training expands everyone's ability to be more savvy creators and consumers of persuasive communication. In other words, rhetorical training is not only a benefit to speakers trying to persuade an audience, 
but to an audience trying to better understand how and why they are being persuaded. Ultimately, rhetoric encourages attention to the dynamics of language and other forms of media as sites of meaning that are constantly influencing how we think, act, and feel about the world. And this is why I think it's an appropriate framework for considering our relationship to technology. Much like language, our everyday devices are simultaneously ever-present and almost invisible, subtly nudging our actions and behaviors in ways we might not even notice, like posting more negative content on Facebook. This is what media theorists J. David Bolter and Richard Grusin term the double logic of a relationship to new media. The more we use a technology, the more it fades into the background of daily life, becoming what they refer to as a transparent interface. They write, quote, A transparent interface would be one that erases itself, so that the user is no longer aware of confronting a medium, but instead stands in an immediate relationship to the contents of that medium. In my first series for this podcast, I want to dive further into an interface that is not yet transparent. Generative AI. What does it mean that robots can now write essays? Or that entire videos can be generated from news articles or even just a few keyword prompts? How will this transform the kind of writing and rhetorical production we do on an everyday basis? How will this alter an audience's relationship to the kind of text we consume? Stay tuned as I look into these and other questions in the coming episodes. Thanks for listening.